Good to have you here. Um, as you may or may not know, we've been doing this series, Summer of Love, and we've been starting with testimonies every, every, uh, every Sunday, and we have Joel Byford here. Hello, everybody. Yeah. Joel is sound man extraordinaire and an all-around nice guy. I'm usually hiding Usually back hiding there, it back there. <laughs> uh, but we've, we put him, in, put him in front and uh, put the microphones to the test. So... Uh, Joel's going to tell us a little bit about his life and a little bit about his testimony. Um, so, are you ready, Joel? You feeling good? I guess so. Okay, good. You have, you have coffee, so that's important. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Caffeine. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so, uh, like most, I'd say, Gen X kids, I, and I grew up in California, and uh, like almost everybody that I know and went around with down there, it was pretty much the same. So, I uh, grew up in a really a Christian home, a very large church I went to. Uh, by about the age of five, um, actually was the age of five, I was uh, I became a Christian and uh, asked God into my life on Christmas Eve one one time. Yeah, parents were very angry they didn't know about it until afterwards. But it was you know that was kind of like the thing. And then like again like everybody in my generation, you pretty much went to the big church. You um, went and either went to the camps or you worked at the camps. I did both. The the big massive Christian camps in California. They call them the COCs, Teen Lake, Mount Hermon, and Forest Home. I worked in, I went to all three, but I worked at one. And uh, then after that, in, you would go to a Christian college, right? So I went to a Christian college, and I went to Azusa, which is down in Southern California. So that was kind of like the thing that everyone did. And, yeah. um, of course, along the way, about junior high time, I rededicated my life to Christ because, you know, at age five, didn't quite understand what it meant. But, uh, yeah. Pretty simple. You didn't have it all figured life. out at five years old. No, no. Okay, no, that's a shame. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, well, part of what you were were going to share is that there was some particular example you had of of love. People would like just showing love uh, in your life. You want to talk about that? Yeah. Sure. So, that was the testimony, the personal testimony. But that's not really the story behind it, as most of you guys know. Um, so I grew up in actually a home, it was a very Christian home, but it was also, it was filled with love, but in a different kind of way you'd ever imagine. So I had my, uh, I, I was age two, and my sister came along. So two years behind me was my sister, and uh, she was born with a uh, severe, severe damage to her nervous system. And so she was never really able to walk or talk. She barely walked about at age five, but then kind of went back downhill after that. So my uh, parents... Would honestly, I, I saw this huge witness of like my my parents pouring love into somebody that was never really going to be able to give love back in a true way, never be able to really communicate back other than laughing and crying. So um, it was that was kind of like that. That's the real story behind the story. And admittedly, that you know, as a as a kid, and you know, looking back on things now, you know, there was it was definitely it was definitely challenging. And there were people that came alongside of us that kind of helped me along that journey, and people that came alongside my parents. Yeah, to help with that journey too. But uh, yeah. you tell us about those people that, that yeah. opened up uh, that. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so my parents had family friends that just literally would just pour the love into them, right? So there were many times my sister would be in the hospital, so they would come alongside. They would either watch me or they would take care of me and feed us food and bring food over at, at, in the evenings. And as a church, you know that they really kind of they were all church friends that kind of did that, and it really did become more of a family type thing. Mm -hmm. And um, for me personally, there was a, uh, in junior high, uh, there was a, um, a youth pastor, or not, not just a youth um, leader. Leader, yeah. Mentor. Just a guy. Just a guy, <laughs> just a guy that worked at UPS, yeah. and uh, awesome guy, and a guy named Carl, and I actually got a chance to meet with him a couple years ago yeah. uh, for the first time in decades. Yeah. 
Michael and tell them to wait. I'm old. But um, yeah, it was it was awesome because he just kind of came alongside me in particular, but just several of us that I think all had some difficulty in our homes at the time. And again, I'm not saying that it was a, a bad home life. I'm just saying it was it was difficult, right? And he would come in and just like pour love into us. And right every Friday he would take us out uh, and do things with us and go go bowling with us, go to um, go to the uh, uh, mini golf, of course stay too late and playing uh, playing video games inside the arcade there. So it, he just would pour his love into us and I think that really more than anything kind of sustained us. Yeah. Like both myself with I'm speaking for myself with Carl but then yeah my the the Blakes, the Buchbox, the people that were around my parents as well. Yeah. So that community was really just bearing the the, the challenges of you know raising your family and um and that love was just just on display for you yeah yeah definitely that's awesome um and so um where did that so i mean like we're talking about love and and how people like become loving people where did that where did that love come from as far as you could tell or as far as what you could see yeah i I don't think you can say you know you you have to get love in order to give love right it Mm -hmm. seems like and so it feels like a lot of that you know for me, looking out and looking back on life, it really kind of came from, you know, the church and people loving me from the church. So coming from God, loving them, which in turn, they loved on us. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to really want to love on somebody to, to give of your time, to give of yeah. your money, yeah. to give of your resources. So, yeah, I, I just, yeah, that's what I, I would guess. Yeah. Very cool. Anything else you want to add? Did we miss anything? No, I think that's about it. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate it. All right. Very cool. Um, well, I'm just going to, you know, hulk this because I'm very strong. Um, I'm sorry to show off my muscles like that. Uh, hey, let's quickly, uh, not quickly, let's just pray, and uh, then we'll jump in this morning. Uh, so, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, thank you for the stories that we have. Lord, in, in, in Hebrews, it says we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, Lord. Speaking of, like, these Old Testament people who follow Jesus. But, Lord, we are surrounded by, by witnesses, people who have uh, tasted and seen your goodness, Lord, who have uh, been shaped uh, after your own heart, like, like become Christ-like. And we just want, we want good things in life, Lord. We want to uh, have, have peace and joy. We want to be people who love and love you and love others. So Lord, we just come seeking you, Lord, asking you uh, just even collectively to, to shape us and, and give us a vision for what it might look like to love and to love well. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, one quick little, little announcement, uh, just an invitation. Um, the, on Wednesday nights, we've been having spiritual summer school, and we've been learning about prayer and stuff like that. Um, stuff like that, prayer. We've been learning about prayer, personal prayer, um, and we're taking a little field trip. This Wednesday at 7 o'clock, we're taking a field trip with our class, and I just actually wanted to invite anyone. It doesn't matter if you were a part of it beforehand. If you want to come along and join us on our little field trip, because who doesn't love the field trip? That was the best part of school anyway. Um, we're going to meet downtown Issaquah at the library parking lot, and we're going to do a prayer walking. We're going to do like a little instruction. How do you, how do you prayer walk? We're going to be sent out. We're going to do that. We're going to come back, debrief. If you've ever felt like, yeah, I'd like to have some growth in my prayer life, this is a really easy way that's going to be fun. So Wednesday, 7 o'clock, meet at the Issaquah Library parking lot. Um, it's not that big. You'll be able to find us. And uh, yeah, it would be 
an hour or so, and we'll be doing some stuff on prayer walking. So just wanted to invite you for that. Um, so anyways, back on track. We've been making our way through this series, um, and our aim has been to think through love and its importance in the life of faith, in Christian faith. Because love is not just, um, we have to say, it's not just a side benefit of being Christian. Uh, it is central. Being loved by God and being called to be people who love others is central to being a follower of Jesus. If we don't think that, then we need to change our thinking. Because Jesus makes it super clear that it's all about love. You'll, you'll remember, and we've talked about this before already, that uh, as uh, Jesus was asked, what is the greatest command? Because he was surrounded by religious people who really wanted to do the right thing by God. He was asked, what is the greatest command? And his response was this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. See, Jesus was really good in a very complicated world of simplifying things. He makes it really clear. He says, the whole law and the prophets, the whole Old Testament, this whole thing that we're obsessed with here in Israel, the whole message comes down to just two little things, which are actually just one little thing, and that's love. It all depends on and is driven forward by love. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But love. And when we talked over the last uh, three weeks about how we can love God, we've been talking about sort of just like the dynamics of the spiritual life. But this morning, I want us to think through this secondary question, not secondary in importance, but just number two in a list of two things, is how do we love others? Because it's really important. And, and I need you to understand. I need you to know that while Jesus is talking about two distinct directions of love, loving God and loving others, he's really just saying one thing, and that's that we need to be people who are filled with love. Two different directions, but the same thing. People who are filled with love are like a sponge. If God squeezes them or people squeeze them, water comes out, hopefully, unless you're cleaning up something gross. I, I apologize. That was not that was not helpful to the movement here. Um, but you know what? Like like we are people who are to be so filled with love that towards God comes out love, and towards people love comes out. Uh, Dallas Willard, who as you know I like, says this: Our aim under love is not to be loving to this or that person, or in this or that kind of situation, but to be a person possessed by love as an overall character of life. Whatever is or is not going on, the occasions are met with from the overall character. I do not come to my enemy and then try to love them. I come to them as a loving person. You understand the distinction here? Jesus isn't saying, and his commandments and his teachings were not that we should act like loving people. He's actually saying something that's, uh, I think, more demanding than that. What he's saying is, is, is very serious, and, and this is exactly the reason why Jesus was so annoying to the religious people in his day, because he was really annoying to them. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, these religious groups who, who thought themselves to be wise about what God wanted, he, Jesus like really annoyed them, because he was insistent that God didn't just want them to do nice things. 
but that God actually wanted them to be good, loving, gracious, kind people. He wanted them to operate from a heart that had been renewed. They wanted them to operate from love. And if they operated from love, then, then goodness and law abiding and obedience and love for God would just come out of that place. In Matthew 12, Jesus says this. He says, either make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. That's the way fruit works. He says, a brood of vipers, speaking to these Pharisees, he says, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good person produces good things from his storeroom of, of good. And an evil person produces evil things from the, his storeroom of evil. See, Jesus argued that you don't need to just put up some guardrails around your behavior or, or put on self-control and act a certain way. He says, you need to be a different kind of person who is a store, has a storeroom of goodness in order to be good, in order to love. You need to be a person who has stored up love in his heart. He, he says this to the Pharisees later in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup, uh, uh, cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup so that the outside of it may also become clean. Jesus' message throughout the gospel was you need to deal with the issue of sin, wickedness, lack of love, really at its root. His instruction is not you need to start acting less greedy. His instruction to people is you need to not be greedy. Your heart needs to be dealt with. He's not saying you need to act selflessly. He's saying you need to be selfless. You need to have a change of heart. And when you have a change of heart, the actions will follow quite simply. Jesus didn't have anything personal against the Pharisees. I think we need to say it. He wasn't like thinking that they're, they're so awful. In fact, some biblical scholars actually argue that Jesus was a Pharisee, member of this club of Pharisees. But Jesus, he was opposed to them because they were trying to fix a legitimate problem, a problem that he understood very well, the problem of sin, but in a way that was simply not going to work. And they were really teaching people with confidence that this is the way to do it. You just kind of, you kind of just, just obey a bunch of rules and then suddenly you'll please God. And, and the, the issue is, and I think it's what Jesus is always poking at, it's pretty easy to believe that you love God. It's, it's, everybody here probably thinks they love God. Maybe not everybody. The Pharisees were convinced that, man, they loved God, and they had the receipts. Right? They were able to say, hey, look, we've done the work. See, we've done, we followed all these laws, these 360-something laws that we've come up with. We know that we love God because we're doing these things. Never mind you, all the other stuff that they were doing in their life. And that's what Jesus points to. They came to Jesus, and they, and they told him all about the things that they had done, all the rules that they were following, but Jesus could see right through it. Not, by the way, because he was God, but because he had eyes. Self-righteous people who are just trying to obey a bunch of laws oftentimes are blind to the things that they're just not doing. Like they're saying, okay, I'm good with God because I've checked off a bunch of things off a list. 
But then you look at the rest of their lives and there's no love. Jesus saw that in these people. He just saw it with his eyes. He didn't need to be God to see that. Jesus saw their actions in the real world and the way that they treated others. And to Jesus, their failure to love others was evidence that they were not people of love. They were not people who were operating from a renewed heart, a heart that was loving of God and of others. Because Jesus knew, man, if you love God, you're going to love people. Not just in the limited set of rules that you make, but you're just going to love them. And that love is just going to drive everything that you do. The Bible goes there a lot. <laughs> if you'll remember 1 John 4, 19, we've talked about this a couple times um, in this series, right? It says, we love God because he first loved us. That's where we start. Like, like our love is based on the foundation of his preliminary love. We love God because he first loves us. But that verse goes on into, into uh, verse 20. It says this. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. Well, that's pretty straightforward. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Can I just talk to the voice in your head for a second? Shh. Don't freak out. Don't feel guilty about all the ways and start making the list of all your failures, like the opposite of the, the list that the Pharisees made of all their successes, right? Don't do that, because that's just as dumb of an idea <laughs> as, as the Pharisees had, that they'll somehow okay, we'll obey, obey a certain set of rules. Like, don't go and start feeling guilty about all your failures. Just be quiet for a second. If you hear this and you instantly feel condemned, you start to remember all the times you've not loved, and you start to beat yourself up. Just don't do that. We have to admit two things. One, that yes, we're, we're called to love, and oftentimes we fail. But here's the thing. We're called to love, and more so, this is the calling of a disciple. We're called to grow in love. So if you say, I'm not doing perfect, wonderful. <laughs> Welcome to church. <laughs> That's exactly why we come. It's exactly why we take up this life of discipleship because we understand God has invited me to something, to be a person deeply infused with love, but I don't do it well. And so I live my life in such a way that I am pursuing all that God has for me. I'm pursuing and living a life so that I might grow in love because I do not have right at this moment what I need. Becoming a loving person will take two things, time and a miracle. And, and the great thing is that we have both those things. We have the supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit, a miracle. Jesus has done something in your heart if you've trusted in him. He sent his spirit within you, and that spirit is pouring out love within you. It's miraculous. You didn't do anything for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't impress God. And then he decided, okay, well, I'll, I'll pour out a little more love in him. Jesus is doing something miraculous in people who are saved. He's giving them his spirit, taking away their sin. So you got the miracle, and then you need the time. It's going to take time. Maybe you don't love well. 
Maybe you feel like there is anger and judgment and unkindness that bubbles up in you. Great. That's at least honest. And God, with the Spirit and with time and with our intentionally coming to him and living as a disciple, he knows how to change that. He knows how to rework our lives. He knows how to teach us how to become people of love. It's when we're honest about how we are that God can start to work in us. So that's a great spot to be if you feel like you don't love well. So what do you do? So what do you do? Like, what do you do if you want to become a person who loves others? You want to love. You feel like you maybe love God, right? You, you, you feel like you love God. You know that he loves you. I hope you know that. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to make sure that you know but you're not quite sure you love others. Well, luckily, I just got to say, you're not the first person who's been in that situation. It's pretty normal, actually. In fact, it is so normal that when Paul wrote to the Philippians in the book of Philippians, aptly named, um, he was basically addressing that same problem because they had that same problem then, the problem that we have now, that we know that God loves us, but we know that we don't love people super well, and we know that's a problem. He, he asks these questions to the Philippians. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? The assumption, of course, is that they do belong to Christ. Is there any comfort from his love? The assumption is, of course, that they would know and believe that Jesus does, in fact, love them. Is there any fellowship together in the Spirit? The assumption that Paul's making is that they do have the Holy Spirit within them and that he is working are your hearts tender and compassionate, the assumption that he's making, and they're saying, would be saying yes to all of these questions, is that God has done a work, a supernatural work of bringing about tenderness and compassion towards God in their lives, right? So, so these are people just like us who can say, I know I know Jesus, and I know I know his love, and I know I have experienced his compassion, and I know I've experienced his spirit, and yet I do not love like I'm called to love. Great, we're all in good company with the Philippians here. They, the Philippians could answer yes to those things. They would have answered yes because they're Christians. And like the people who, they are people who have heard the gospel. The gospel is just the good news about who Jesus is and what he's done. That, that, he, that, that God, who is love, has come to earth, recognized its brokenness, and, 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 and it's alienation from him. He decided to, to fix the problem by taking on a body and then living a perfect sinless life and then dying on a cross in order to take away sin and then defeating death through rising again. He's done all of that for the sake of love. And these Philippians, and if you're Christians, you know this too, they had heard this good news and they had responded the only way that you're able to respond, which is in faith. That's to understand what Jesus has done and what Jesus says it means, and then to respond with faith, which is just saying, okay, I believe it, that Jesus, you came and you died and, and you did so to take away my sin and to give me new life. And so I'm going to take that on faith, and I'm going to understand and locate myself in that story as the recipient of that good news by faith. They've responded to that. 
They are now in a relationship with God. They are receiving the Spirit. They have this new inheritance, this new life. They had fellowship in the Spirit. They belonged to Jesus. They would have known that this was making a big difference in their life. They had tender hearts. They had been renewed. God had done something. They knew this. They had done all the work. But it's worth pointing out, okay, just just for you sitting here and and you, you guys listening online, that step one to becoming a loving person is taking the gospel, what Jesus has done by faith and believing it, and experiencing this encouragement of belonging to Christ, the comfort of his love, the fellowship with the Spirit, tender hearts and compassion. That is where it begins. Jesus takes away sin gives us new life, pours out life in our hearts, pours out the spirit within us. It begins there. Don't, you, if you, you cannot pa- skip this step. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 on this one. You know, you have to, if you want to have a life according to what Jesus says is true, if you want to have this life of where you can love people and love people well, you have to begin with this. This is step one if you want to become a loving person. Step one is knowing you are loved by God so much that he came to save you. He saved you. He's adopted you. He's taken your sin away and given you his spirit and new life. And we begin a life of love, of being transformed into love by trusting what he's done. And if you can't answer these questions, these, these, these four questions that Paul is asking the Philippians affirmatively, then here's the great deal. Like, you can, you can answer those in the yes by faith. Because these things are the things that are promised to people who trust in Jesus. You can give up yourself. You can give up your sin. You can give up your own plan to, to make yourself right before God and instead accept God's plan, which is just he takes away my sin and he gives me new life and I just trust him. That's the the invitation of scripture. The good news, the gospel is, (laughs) it is a wide open relationship with God, not on the basis of your love for him, but on the basis like like 1 John 4, 19, of his love for you, demonstrated in Christ. That's where it begins. And then you'll have a yes You'll be able to say along with the Philippians, yes to all these things, okay? So the Philippians had said yes. I hope you've said yes. But notice that these Philippians, like they were Christians, they could have said yes to all these things, but they still had a problem to deal with. They knew the love of God. They'd experienced it. They were in a relationship with God by faith, but they were still had a problem to deal with. Philippians 2, 2 goes on and explains what the problem is. Paul instructs them, If that's all true, if you said yes to all those things, then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't look out for your own, only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. People who know the gospel, who know they're loved by God, who God has done a supernatural work of bringing life and the spirit in them, 
They have more to do in order to step into this fullness of being the sorts of people who love others well. If you want to love one another, then work together, share life and share interests, share joy, have peace with one another. He says, don't be selfish, be humble, be interested in others, and have the same attitude that Jesus had. See, what Paul is making clear is that all the preliminaries of faith, adoption, new life, the empowering of the Spirit, all that's been taken care of. The system is working as it should, but one thing needs to change for these Philippians to become people who truly love and love well. One thing needs to change. Their attitude needs to change. Their interests need to change. Their thinking needs to change. Their selfishness. Their lack of humility needs to change. If you want to love others, you have to think differently. You have to think differently. You have to change your thinking. Dallas Willard, you know, my favorite, he says you got to change your stinking thinking. So if you've got some stinking thinking, that needs to change. Now, you might be confused because I said at first you need to deal with your heart. And then I said, you need to deal with your thinking, right? I did that, didn't I? So which is it? What's, what, are we, what are we doing here? Okay. Jeremiah 2.13, I think, is a really helpful verse. Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet, right? He's talking to the people of God. He's telling them what's up and what's up with their sin. And he tells them this. He says, my people, speaking, speaking on behalf of God, my people have committed a double evil. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, crack cisterns that cannot hold water. Do you know what a cistern is? No? Because we don't, we don't live in a place where we need those. We have underground plumbing. When you don't have underground plumbing, uh, you have overground plumbing. And a cistern is, 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 especially in like desert cultures like Israel, it would be a place where rainwater was collected and where they could draw on that for their drinking water or, or whatever, irrigation, right? So, 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 what Jeremiah says is that the people have done two evil things. They've abandoned a fountain of living water. That's God who represents himself as being a fountain of living water. And what they've done is they've provided for themselves their own means, their own resources. They've dug their own cisterns. But those cisterns are broken. They're not even effective at doing what they're supposed to be doing. There's a double problem. See, see the problem of sin in your life, it has a double impact. It's a double problem. Number one, through sin, we've abandoned God. Through sin, what we've done is we've thrown rocks into the spring of life so that we have no source of water, no reliable place to have our needs met. We've sealed up the well. God had designed, has designed the world and did it in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Like we have this picture of just life that is sustained by God. He's present with people. That's how he's designed us to be. But through sin, we've, we've turned away from God and effectively clogged up the system. We've sealed up the well. We've gone our own way. But of course, since we still need things, what we've done is we've, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, right? As was the prophet, we've dug our own cisterns, water stores, but they really don't do that much. They really aren't enough. They are not effective at giving us what we need. And so God has fixed this problem. The gospel is about 
God coming and restoring things as they should be, being our strength and our power yet again. He is like the spring, the one who's come and he's opened the spring back up so that now we have life again, relationship with God, peace with God, restored things to the way they should be. Like Adam and Eve had it, where we can walk and talk with God, have a relationship with him, rely on him, trust in him to provide for us. Jesus has done that, but we still have a problem. We are relying on our old plumbing, right? Jesus has fixed the root problem. He's dealt with the heart. He's brought, made it so that he's present, that we could rely on him, but our plumbing is still drawing from our cisterns. I'm sure a plumber is just like, this doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't know about plumbing, right? But that's, it's fine. All right, let, let, let's come up with another analogy, okay? Just like you've gone for a really long hike. You people have all done that. You've gone for a really long hike, and it's like a 12-mile hike. It's a really long hike. You didn't bring any water because you're dumb. Um, oh, no, sorry. No, you did bring water. I forgot. The, that, that's not true. You're not dumb. I love you. Um, so you, you're at the end of a long hike, and you're very, very thirsty, and there's somebody there waiting at the end of the trail, and they have a nice, giant, you know, 40-gallon tub of ice-cold Gatorade. And they're just like, hey, do you want my Gatorade? And you say, I actually brought this Camelback, right? And it's, but there's no water in it, right? There's a hole in your Camelback. You haven't washed it for 30 years. And you're just like, I'm good. I've got my Camelback. So I'm just going to drink this Camelback, right? Instead of like an intelligent person, just going ahead and enjoying the Gatorade. I like Gatorade. If you don't like Gatorade, the metaphor breaks down. It's water then if you like water, but whatever. I like my water to taste like sugar um, and, and Florida. Um, okay, so, so you get it? it? It's just like that. Like, so it's so like we are, we are just neglecting like, to live off of the resources that Jesus has done. We are relying on old plumbing. We're relying on our own resources, our own dingy, mildewy camelback, when in fact Jesus has provided us refreshing Gatorade. <laughs> oh, it's terrible. It's a terrible spiritual na- analogy. Um, and, but we're just not, we're not drinking from what he's done. We, we're, we're not uh, drawing from the resources that he has. Like, this is what we've been talking about last week, taking off the old man, putting on the new. Like, we have uh, before us all the ability to have this new life and to live a life of love, and yet we are so used to going back to our old way of doing things before we ever had that option. We need to change our thinking. We need to understand that our life is different now because of what Jesus has done. Your thinking always follows from your fundamental beliefs about what is true. These Philippians are a lot like like us. They know the truth. They confess the truth. They believe the gospel. They believe Jesus has really done something. He's really sent his spirit within me. They know the truth, but they haven't done the work over time of getting the truth deep within, of remodeling, replumbing, so that they can start to draw from the new source of life. They're going back to the old. They don't need to do that anymore. They need to change their thinking. They need to let the truth change their thinking. They need to be a disciple and follow discipleship around the, down the long path over time of getting to the root of my thinking and my heart and the fact that I am so used to relying on myself when I am called to rely on God. 
they have the invitation clear. They know that God has done all these things. They know that they're able to walk into this new way, way, life, but they need to have the same attitude that was in that Christ Jesus had. And they haven't had done that work yet. And that's what discipleship is. That work of bringing your life in line with what Jesus has done, that's the life of discipleship. I think about like Joel's testimony, right? I mean, he had parents who, who gave their lives to, to just serve uh, his sister, and like she was unable to reciprocate. Where does love like that come from? You know, it's funny, because I could envision two scenarios, and I, and I know from Joel's like, testimony that his parents were like joyful people in the middle of all that. But it'd be really easy to do that with, from, from duty. Right? And to become an angry person, a resentful person. But, but because these people had pursued a life of, of serving others from love, they were able to do so with joy. They dealt with their thinking. They dealt with their heart. What, what Paul is saying to the Philippians is it's not like you're just called to, to be nice people. You're not just called to like do a certain way. You're, you're called to change your thinking so much so like that, that you would have the very attitude of Christ Jesus. That you'd become loving like he's loving. That you would, you would lean into the full invitation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you want to love people, have the attitude that Jesus had. Start changing your thinking. Be humble. Think of others' needs as, as just as important as your own. We're going to spend most of next week talking really, really practically and talking about really ourselves. Because in the end, the, the biblical uh, definition of, of the problem of thinking and, and kind of like, like faulty thinking is it's, it's selfishness. It's being full of ourselves and not letting ourselves die. That's actually the, the, the weird calling of Christians is to be people who let themselves die. Like it's a, it's a good kind of death. Like, like letting my old plumbing die. Letting my camelback die. These are, these, are, these are good kind of death. It's actually like the great invitation, the great inheritance of Christians is to let yourself go so that you can have a new kind of life. So we're going to talk practically about that next week. But as you can see, like I've got to start to wrap up. But just like, just to think a little bit about this for one more second, uh, Dallas Willard says, the ultimate freedom that we have as human beings is the power to select what we will let our minds dwell upon. You have an ability, and you need to take ownership of what goes on in here. And you need to do the work of letting what goes on in here, like, reflect what Jesus has done. You need to start changing your thinking. See, before Paul tells the Philippians uh, to change their, their selfish thinking, he asks them to do so in light of their reflection upon what Jesus has done. Right? He says, he doesn't say, just be better, be less selfish. He asks them some questions to get them thinking about their relationship with Jesus before he gives them any instructions about how they should do that. 
I think that's so significant. He asked them, dwell upon that. Let your minds dwell upon what you've already got in Jesus Christ. Encouragement of the Spirit. You've already got a comfort, tenderness of heart. He's already saved you. He's already washed you clean. He, he basically says, before I start getting you thinking about what is, what is next for you, just think about what Jesus has already done. Because he knows that when they do that, then their, then their thinking will fall in line. And their thinking will fall in line. Here's the thing. You probably have, and I probably have, good reasons for thinking the way I do. You have good reasons for thinking the way you do. Everybody here is stuck in certain thought patterns, and they developed in response to your life circumstances. Sometimes we grew up in hard situations, and so we developed thinking patterns as a result of that. You know, sometimes we grew up in great situations, but we're still selfish people, stuck in sin, right? And taught by our own hearts, by our own selfishness, by the world, the flesh, and the devil to value things that God says aren't valuable. And our, and our thinking is deeply impacted by sin. It's deeply impacted by sin. No matter what, your thinking has been shaped by sin. So you do probably have good reasons to be selfish. You do have good reasons to put your own interests first, right? You do have good reasons to not be humble, but to be maybe be a little bit proud of yourself, to be a little bit proud of your own resourcefulness, to be a little bit proud of your own cleverness, and to appreciate those things about you. You do have good reasons. Or I will say this, you did before Jesus showed up in your life. Before Jesus showed up in your life, man, your thinking was there to make do with a bad situation, to, do, to get the biggest cistern, the one that leaked the less, the one that could provide the most. And so you hoarded money, and you hoarded, and you, and you, and you operated from pride, and you operated from a place of self-sufficiency, and you survived, and you tried to thrive because you knew no one else was going to help you. So you had to dig your own cisterns and make your own life. When that was true and you were alone in the world, your thinking made a lot of sense. But I've got to tell you, and this is the thing we have to know, now that Jesus has come, he's shown us good news that God himself is on our side, that he's taken away sin. He's taken away the separation and the alienation. Now that that's true, now that he's opened up a spring of life and he says, come on, have all that you want, then your thinking makes no sense anymore. Makes no sense to be sucking on that camelback anymore. It doesn't make sense anymore. You had good reasons for developing the thought patterns that you had, but now in light of what Jesus has done, you don't. But there's a lot of work to be done to change your thinking. Now, you have warrant, you have a, a, a good invitation to actually be selfless, to be humble. Before you didn't, now you do. 
you have a, a, a wide open invitation to rely on God to provide for you. Before you didn't, you had no idea who he was. You thought God was just some, I don't know, you may even have thought he didn't even exist, right? But now you know that he's going to care for you. He sees you. He knows you. He knows your needs. Now you have reason to live relying on him. Now you have reason to change your thinking. If you want to love people, if you want to become a humble person, if you want to become a person who puts others' interests ahead of your own even, then start by reflecting on what God has done and then say, all right, how does my thinking have to change? We will get to that. Uh, worship team can come up here. We're going to get to that next week. So please come back. I'd love to, to talk more practically about how we do that because like in, in a really practical sense. How do we grow in and disciple ourselves and change our thinking so that we can rely on the gospel, we can rely on what Jesus has done? Um, it's going to take work, but it's a good kind of work. You're not earning God's favor by doing this, but you are stepping into all that he's already made possible. And so that's my invitation. Come back. Let's grow. Let's become people of love. Let's become people who have dealt with our thinking uh, because it's good and it's worthwhile and it makes for a good life. Uh, yeah, so let's, are we ready? Yeah, let's worship. Let's do it. Let's do Great it. idea. <laughs> All right. I've just been thinking this whole series about love and how I think sometimes we just cannot fathom the love of God and that old hymn comes to mind 